Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Language screw-ups, weird taxi driver stories, and warning signs we wish we could tell our younger selves are a few of the topics we'll discuss on this special crossover episode between Talk Travel Asia and Bangkok podcast. Scott and I have each spent the majority of the past 20 years living in Bangkok, as have our guests, Greg and Ed, who we've known for nearly as long as we've been living in Asia. Over the past two decades, the city of Angels has changed nearly as much as the four of us have. And while three of the four of us are still experiencing it as a home, there's an old expression that continues to summarize the expat life, the good, the bad, and the things that can only be explained by saying, T-I-T, this is Thailand. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Hey, Greg, Ed. I'm doing good, Trevor, and happy that we have linked up with Ed and Greg from the Bangkok Podcast. How are you guys? Awesome. Great. Happy to be here. So I'm in Hua Hin, Trevor's in Phnom Penh, and Ed and Greg, you guys are in Bangkok. Is that right? That is correct. I didn't know you are Hua Hin. Yeah, I'm in Bangkok still. Mm-hmm. Well, so we got talking and we thought, hey, we all like each other. Why don't we hook up for an episode and kind of run it on both of our shows? And why don't we just talk a bit about kind of our lives here? How did we get started here? How have we evolved in Thailand? How has Thailand impacted and helped us evolve? So we're just going to chat it up and, and have that quick conversation. And maybe first, without going into great detail, because I think most people know, but just in case, like, Ed, what first brought you here? Uh, actually, I was a lawyer in Chicago, uh, got tired of it pretty quickly, uh, and I was just looking for anything to do that was interesting. And uh, a friend of a friend told me about this teaching job in Thailand. I was like, Thailand? What? You know, that's on the other side of the world. And I took uh, took the job. And it's, it's kind of ironic now since I've been in Thailand for 20 years. It was a one-year contract, and I was so skeptical that I would want to stay for one year that I, <laughs> I asked them to re, renegotiate, and they, they changed it to six months. Ah, <laughs> lucky for you. Yeah, and that's how that's how I got here. And uh, one thing led to another, and uh, 20 years later, I'm still here. Blam. Trevor, how about you? Well, it's funny you should say, because I came to Thailand uh, to work for the same company that Ed did. And uh, when I moved to Thailand, I told people I was moving to Thailand, even though it was only a three-month contract that I was offered. And after three months, it they offered me an additional three months, and then that became a year. And then two years later, I was like, I guess I did move to Thailand and uh, I gave up my storage locker that I'd been paying for all those months and uh, yeah, stayed forever. Accidental kind of. And Greg, how did how did yes. you end up here? Yeah, well, I came uh, I came home one day and my roommate said, uh, this is in Canada, and he said, hey, let's go and see our friend Penny who just recently moved to, to Chiang Mai. And I said, I can't just go to Thailand to see Penny. And he said, why not? And I said, I don't know. I guess I probably could. And we uh, planned, we saved, and we came over here, and we were going to spend four months traveling around. We hired a great company to show us the ropes when we got to Thailand called Smiling Albino, which one of us has co-founded. And uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, we finished that great tour, and then my buddy left after 12 days, 
And I said, the hell with you. I'm going to stay and see what happens. And boom, 20 years. It happened. And I'm the guy that co-founded the travel company that Greg came and had a trip with. I moved here in September 99 with the dream of starting a travel company. And who would have guessed it worked? And uh, <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. So, you know, Trevor brought this next one up. Is, is how and when did all of us meet? Yeah, well, I think it's cool that you, Greg and you met like right off the bat, kind of like that in a way that Ed and I mm-hmm. kind of met right off the bat as well, you know, and then we crossed paths That's with right. the two of you guys a couple of years later. I first met Scott, I think, when he came to a Halloween party that Ed and I were throwing in the house we lived in together. I do remember exactly when I met Trevor because it was just in a buddy's apartment who we were all working in the same company and they had put us up in the same building and my buddy uh brian uh was like oh yeah you got to meet this guy trevor he's like a new teacher and so i I remember when i met trevor i don't remember meeting scott and i don't remember actually meeting greg that's funny because i don't remember meeting you either ed but i do remember the first time i met trevor and i think i was sitting in a maybe a dunkin donuts in sam square and uh with ed i think with someone and uh this, this random dude walked in and it was Trevor and he's like, Hey, how's it going? And then you had just come from the movie poster store oh, yeah. and you unrolled uh, a, an original Thai language poster of Star Wars from 1977 that you'd picked up. Oh. And I was like, who's this new guy? Person. He's nerdy and I love it. <laughs> cool. So I think we're just going to work through a series of questions that we've kind of thought might be interesting and kind of go in semi random order. So. Why don't I kick off this question, then each other question, one of you guys grab it. But thinking, what were some of your early experiences with food, and how did you evolve with that food, Ed? Uh, Interesting. Uh, When I got here, I was – it's weird. I've gone through weird diet changes. When I got here, I was vegetarian. I did that for a few years, and then I went back to eating meat like a monster. And (laughs) then about five years ago, I went back to being vegetarian. So I remember being vegetarian when I got here. And it was uh, interesting because Bangkok is vegetarian-friendly in a way, but it's not like in the States where there's a lot of like just vegetarian restaurants. So I had to learn how to ask for J food. J is the word in, in Thai that roughly approximates uh, being vegetarian. But I think I had a lot of the normal issues of worrying about spiciness. I mean, it's the classic thing. But I remember that because I like spicy food. But then if you order it really spicy, it's it, it I, I can't eat it, you know. So you have to learn how to order like spicy, but not Thai spicy. Yeah. So even though I was a vegetarian, I think I had a more or less fairly typical experience just adjusting to all the different options. Uh, I learned that some Thai food I'd love, like I totally fell in love with, uh, I already ate Pad Thai in the States because that's the classic thing, even though most people don't eat it here that much. <laughs> but uh, like Tom Yum, Tom Yum I fell in love with, Tom Ka I totally fell in love with. But uh, I learned... Uh, I don't like fish sauce, uh, and I don't like durian, which is the cla- these are two classic things. I'm very much a typical foreigner in that respect. I wish I loved it, but I don't. I'm with you on both those. How about you, Greg? Yeah, Ed's dislike of durian became clear on the Bangkok podcast episode where we tried the durian pizza at Pizza Company, and that was a fun night. You know, it's funny. I'm uh, I'm I'm usually not a, not shy at all, but when I first came to Bangkok, I was I was really hesitant to to, to learn how things worked. Like I would go to a food court, and you know how you have to give money to get coupons and then buy your food with the coupons. Like I didn't know any Thai and I was really shy to just point and try to, to see, to figure out how things worked. And so I just didn't do it. And I was living on Tonglasoy 13 and in this crappy old penthouse at like the 
someone owned and they took pity on me with my first job because they didn't have enough money to buy my own place yet. Place yet. And uh, the only thing I, I knew how to say was Kalpat Guy, which is uh, right, is chicken fried rice. And the only place I knew that sold it was like a 25 minute walk away, even though there was probably about 30 other stalls within five minutes from my house that sold it, but I was too scared to go out and explore. So every night by myself, I would walk 25 minutes to this one stall down on Sukhumvit somewhere and I would order my Kalpat guy and then I would take it home and eat alone. And it was just super lame and I'm so embarrassed that I was so nervous to jump in and do it. But once I started getting uh, used to things and uh, making some friends, then it was just no holds barred and I've never been shy to eat anything after that. That's a heck of a walk for Kalpat guy, which is so common. But you know, you <laughs> said shy and I can empathize with that. I was pretty shy and uh, if I looked at it and I didn't really know what it was, I, I wasn't probably going to try it. That said, I do remember liking Guitiaokai. And the first apartment I stayed at a friend's apartment, I thought it was incredible that you could call down to the restaurant on the ground floor and they would bring food up to you. I just thought it was a <laughs> mind bender. Oh, yeah. That for sure. like a dollar. They would do that. I remember just never getting <laughs> sick of ordering noodle soup and fried rice. I then, of course, got hooked on patkapau, basil, and chili. I mean, every foreigner loves that. But strangely, you know, I didn't put vinegar on noodle dishes for at least five plus years. And then it was Derek Van Pelt, a recent guest on your show that one time told me, probably said, it's the way forward. And I started putting <laughs> vinegar on noodles. And I also didn't eat kalmangai, which is like the most basic dish, you know, rice cooked in chicken right, right. broth with some steamed chicken on top for at least five, six, seven, eight years. And I don't have a stomach for shrimp paste, anything real fishy, but uh, I've grown to love more of it. How about you, Trevor? Wow, I feel like I won this round because I was lucky and, and Ed probably <laughs> ate there as well. But, you know, I could picture Ed eating uh, cow tall or uh, would you say the coconut one? Sorry. I can picture Ed. Oh, you mean... Uh Tomka. Yeah, you always Tom order Tomka. I remember that. Yeah. But we were lucky that the, the building that Ed and I lived in when, when we first moved to Thailand 20 years ago, there was a man called Soup Man who had this little street stall down at the end of the, our soy. And it was amazing. Like aside, like from the coagulated blood that was in the stewed chicken soup leg, you know, that was, uh, <laughs> you could just eat around that, but that quickly became my comfort food. So like his guy and the bat me mudang and he made his own mudang and like the chicken soup with that stewed chicken leg. Like it was also amazing that like that it, I, I ate there constantly. Yeah. You know, I'm guessing, uh, Cambodia is similar, but Greg and I talk on the, on the podcast a lot about, I think Thailand lives up to its reputation for food. Like it really does. I, I think it's just, it's just one of the best places to eat. I think on the planet. I mean, e even for international food. I mean, maybe not for something like, I don't know, like I, I'm, I'm, I, I eat a lot of, uh, Lebanese food. I eat some Italian food, but I eat a lot of Thai food. And I just, I mean, when it comes to eating, I feel pretty lucky to be in that Bangkok. That was a soy one thing, though, as well, because just when we lived on Sukhumvit soy one, the, there was all that Arab food nearby, and you really got a taste for the international offerings that Bangkok had available very quickly and easily. For sure. You want to know something crazy is that I never really had a mango in my entire life until I came to Thailand, and then I tried it, and I was like, eh, not for me. Really? And I didn't eat mangoes with any regularity at all until about six years ago. And then I had mango and I'm like, what am I doing? This is delicious. For some oh, my, I love mango. <laughs> so yeah. It's crazy. I don't know what's going on. 
Yeah, I got it. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, learning the language. And, uh, you know, Thai, Thai is a, a different language, obviously, because they have a different alphabet than, than we use in English. And they have tones, um, which can be tricky. And the sentences are all just a bunch of letters strung together with no spaces in between the words. And sometimes the vowels are above or below or behind <laughs> the consonants. How did you guys uh, deal with the the challenges of language and uh, how proficient have you become in it over the past 20 years? Greg, why don't you shoot first here? I am embarrassed at the level of Thai that I speak. I can get through the day. Uh, I can, I can have simple conversations about a lot of popular topics, but uh, I always say if I met a guy in Canada who had been living there for 20 years, as I've been living in Thailand and he spoke English at the same level, I speak Thai. I'd be like, dude, come on. This is pathetic. This is a terrible, terrible show of dedication <laughs> to your new home. So at this stage, I should be on on stage in front of a crowd reading original Thai poetry that I had written, you know, but <laughs> I'm not. And it's just, it's, 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 I've no one to blame but myself. It's just alternating between a lack of time, a lack of money and a lack of ambition and willpower and drive to force myself into positions where I need to practice Thai, which is, the, which I think is the key. So I've even tried to have Thai nights with my wife and her English is excellent. It's near fluent. Um, but after about 10 minutes of me struggling to speak Thai, she just says, you know what? I'm just, this is not working. Let's just not do this. You know, <laughs> and I find it's really hard too. If you ask a regular Thai person, why is this word or a high tone when this consonant is a middle-class consonant? Most Thai people won't know. They'll just say, well, I don't know. That's just the way it is, which is exactly the same way that I describe English. If someone asks me, why is this? a past participle of this thing. And I'm like, I have no idea. That's just how it's spoken. So I, I, I really think if you have a question about Thai, you really need to ask, ask a Thai teacher for, for the right answer. But anyway, I, I, my Thai is, is okay, but it, it can sure as hell be a lot better. Yeah. So Scott, I mentioned that you picked it up by putting yourself in situations where you had to speak Thai and you lived in an area that intentionally kind of allowed you to do so yeah I'll, I'll, i will preface it though i'm in the exact same boat as greg is like no excuse 21 years i should be fluent and i'm not that said i lived out in ramkamhang the eastern suburbs and also by virtue of my business putting together a travel business we were always trying to you know meet people and say like rent a motorbike and then drive it here and get it picked up by a truck so i had to learn a bit more um it probably took me 12 years or so until I decided to learn the alphabet. And that's the first thing I think anyone should do now is learn the right. alphabet. It's actually not that hard. And then you can learn, you can just read signs everywhere you're going. And it really helps a lot. But I mean, even after all these years, just when I think I've got like a word down pat, I'll say it and, and someone has no idea. I remember about a year ago, I ordered a water and I got a coconut. And I still don't know how that happened, but maybe they weren't listening well. But I remember I got that coconut, and I, I really inside I was crushed. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, anyhow, Scott, Scott, you know what that reminds me of? Uh, once, uh, once I got in a taxi to go to Ayutthaya, and I had my camera, and it was just going to be like a photo day. I'm like, I had a, it was like a Saturday. I'll go to Ayutthaya. I'll take some pictures. So I get in a taxi, and I'm like, you know, buy Ayutthaya, you know, and then we negotiated the price. No problem. Heads out. Um, about 45 minutes later, I realized we're like south of Bangkok. We're like heading towards like Chomburi. And I'm like, you know, by nai. And he's like, Pattaya. <laughs> by Pattaya, Chamai. And I'm like, oh. no, I want to go to a UTA. Like he, he just, he just sees a white face. He doesn't understand what I'm saying. My pronunciation is so bad that he just takes me to Pattaya. That's the, the assumption. The assumption is 
I'm going to Pate. Right. Well, and, and you know, this is, I'm not bashing Thai people, but I found this an awful lot is that people will be so thrown off by speaking to a Westerner in Thai and they just get something predetermined in their head that you want to where I, I found they don't actually really listen to what it is you're, you're saying and be it a food dish or just what you're saying with Pattaya. I agree 100%. And this has been a, a, a personal breakthrough I had because it's common sense that when you're learning a foreign language and you're in their country, that it's your fault. Dude, this is a huge realization for me. For you know, It's kind of common sense that when you're living in a foreign country and, and you're learning a foreign language, that any miscommunication is your fault. And I, 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 I'm not exaggerating. I think that's the way I thought for 15 years. Anytime there's a miscommunication, I'm like, God, my tie sucks. I really got to work on it. But about five years ago, I just woke up to the reality that there are a lot of Thai people who are who are just not very good listeners for whatever reason, and and again, it might just be because they they don't know how to react to like a Thai Thai sounds coming out of a white face. You know, I think it just it doesn't compute for some of them. It's like it doesn't make sense. I I actually think it's an important thing for expats to realize that actually it's not always your fault. I really think that's true now. Now I've gotten into arguments with early expats not the wise old expat like myself, early expats who, who, who think I'm putting down Thai people, you know, or who think like, no, 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 it's like, it's our fault. And I'm like, I get it, dude. But you don't understand, like, there's always two sides to communication. There's two sides. There's a speaker and listener. Think about how many times you have sorted out <laughs> someone else's bad accent while they speak English. I mean, I feel like I could, I could put up with a pretty bad accent and still figure out what they're saying in English. Uh, but I think uh, maybe Thai people just don't have enough experience doing that. You know, if, you, if you're a native English speaker, you just, whatever, you have some kind of privilege or you have some advantage that everyone is trying to speak your language. So we have a lifetime of listening to Indian people or Chinese people speaking English in a thick accent. So maybe, maybe that's why we're better at it. But I, this is a message out to all, all the, all the, all the expats out there struggling with Thai. It's not always your fault. That's the truth. It's just the real truth. You know, this is going to make me sound like a broken record, but I, I'm, I'm on the same, same level as you. Not the same level, but the, I have had the same experiences as uh, you and Greg, you know, Scott and Greg, and, and I feel it's the same. Uh, the only slight difference in my case is that after two years, I, I made a really serious effort to learn Thai. I made hundreds of uh, note cards by hand, which coincidentally I recently found. I still have them, but I have hundreds of note cards in all these categories. Um, and, you know, I, I reached a certain plateau, but I don't think it's gotten better. I really, it's so painful to have this come out of my mouth. I don't think it's, my tie's gotten better in 17 years. 17, the lifetime, the lifetime of, you know, it's like, so, like, a, like someone going to college from the time they were born to going to college. Now say that in Thai. I don't think my, I don't think my tie's gotten better, but that is how I met my wife. But, but I was going to say the difference is, uh, I married one of my Thai teachers, so <laughs> I, I did get that. I got Zero that. Zero progress. Of... Riding the SkyTrain, I learned to read the SkyTrain sign. So that's how I started teaching myself the alphabet, which I recognize as being really important. And I use like phonetics, like uh, Law Ling looks like a barrel of monkeys, monkey, you know, and Gawk Guy looks like a chicken with a little beak and stuff like that. Um, I had difficulty learning like Greg did with from my girlfriend or girlfriends at the time. Um, so I, I did like Ed and I made flashcards and I wrote everything in Thai 
And I was learning to create my own sentences and put words together. And I even, I used to spend a lot of time in Luang Prabang and the Lao people used to help me with my Thai. And they think it's funny because Lao and Thai are a, a little right. bit different, but similar enough that they could help me fix my Thai spelling or have a, a good idea of what it should say. And, uh, so I, I came, I became somewhat proficient in the language except for speaking. Cause if you just practice reading and writing, you don't get the tones down. And you know, over the years you pick up the words and stuff. So it is interesting. Now I'm here in Cambodia and I can't speak Khmer like at all. There's a lot of words that are similar, like Jamuk and Wenta and uh, Mwak, you know, like, uh, like French and English have similar words. Khmer and Thai have some similar words. Um, so I, I try to speak Thai sometimes and it doesn't help at all here. All right, I got an issue. Um, how about just weird or awkward social interactions and maybe how it's changed over time? You know, because hopefully we've learned something, you know, from when we first got here. Scott, why don't, why don't, you, why don't you start us off? Mine that came to mind seemed to involve women, but little silly things like my first Thai girlfriend. I remember thinking I was being very nice one day, getting her flowers, but I ended up buying these flowers that are only used to make offerings at temples. And I gave it to her, and I remember she just looked absolutely <laughs> perplexed and was nice enough not to tell me, I think, for a couple of days. So I gave her those flowers, which was kind of neat. And then I remember another time I, I met a girl for a date, and I believe you guys have talked about this on your show, and she brought a friend. And you're just sort of like, oh, well, hang on, who's this? Who's this person? And it, that's that's really awkward. <laughs> and then another one, which I guess could happen anywhere in the world, really, but really being sure you kind of know what's happening is I had a meeting with quite a famous Thai guy named Kun Michai from the PDA here in Thailand, uh, famous for foreigners for their cabbages and condoms restaurants, but they do all kinds of social programs. And I thought he and I were having a casual coffee. And I, I rolled up to Cabbages and Condoms where their office is, and there was a placard, like a name board, welcome Mr. Scott from Smiling Albino. And I saw it and I thought, uh oh, what's happened? And I got escorted to a meeting room where the, like, the board of PDA, which is a big organization, was all there. Oh, and, wow. And oh, yeah, my God. I was in a meeting with all of them about how we could potentially uh, combine forces. Yeah, expect the unexpected. Wow. I'll, I'll tell you the, uh, the asking a Thai woman out on a date and then having her bring a friend is such a classic, but apparently it's deserved. It's a deserved classic because it's happened to so many people. That exact thing happened to me. It's even happened to me where I've uh, been hired to do some tutoring and uh, we just were going to meet in Starbucks, you know, you know, a public place. And then they have someone else like shadowing like their brother or like a friend, you know, e even in a public place like Starbucks. Trevor, what do you got? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've always been, you know, Greg, the way you were saying that you were shy about maybe the food or sometimes using language, I was always careful or cautious about not making these types of faux pas. And we had, we had an episode with you guys about faux pas, or maybe Ed was on the, the faux pas episode. I remember just cringing, like, when people call their waitress P. You know, P, P is like a, is a respectful term for someone who's, like, higher in status in you in Thai culture kind of, yeah. For someone who's like respected or you should give respect to. And like, it always seemed really awkward to me when people speaking Thai early on would refer to just anyone with that term or the why, you know, like uh, the what you're supposed to why people first whom are 
higher in status or stature to you or whom you wish to give respect to. And then I remember just sort of like whying whoever, right? Like I, I whied the person at the immigration desk at the airport until my girlfriend, Nat at the time, she's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, I, I kind of understood at that point that it, it wasn't really appropriate for me to, but at the same time, like they're stamping my passport. So I'm like, all right. Getting the whys right is uh, not easy. I'm still working on that. Greg, what do you got? Um, well, a couple, a couple come to mind right away. Um, in my first years here, I was a teacher and I was, uh, doing a, a summer camp for these kids up in Kanchanaburi. And of course we stopped at the Arawan waterfall. And, um, at the time I wasn't quite so rotund as I am now. And I'm a big, tall guy, big, thick guy. And, um, I was walking around in the waterfall by myself and these three girls, uh, probably about my age at the time, sort of late twenties, uh, wanted me to take a, want to take a picture with me. And they were saying like, Oh, you're tall and big. And they were laughing and giggling. And just for fun, I was like, Hey, this is great. I'm like, ah, oh, this is fantastic. Ties are so friendly. And I picked one of the girls up like in my arms, like, like crossing the threshold on a wedding night or something, you know, and she was just laughing and giggling and her friends were laughing and giggling and someone took a picture and it was all fun. And then I went down to the to the other teachers and the the Thai teachers who were escorting us. And one of the one of the older male teachers pulled me aside and he's like, Yeah, you better not do that again. Like if her boyfriend was here, there would have been a big problem. <laughs> you know, and I, I had no idea, but you know, that's that's seriously crossing the boundary for what's appropriate in to do in public with a stranger, you know. <laughs> and um, you know, it was and it was funny on I think it was a on the same trip, maybe even, um, I did a, a stage show for all of the, the fellow teachers and the students in the camp. And we had to dance on stage a little bit. And there was probably a hundred kids in the audience. And there was four of us on stage, two guys and two girls. And I had to dance with one of the girls sort of like in a goofy fashion dressed up. And at the end of the dance, I sort of on a whim reached in and grabbed this girl who I had sort of become friendly with and kissed her on the cheek in front of everyone, which again is a huge no, no in Thai culture. Public displays of affection are not cool. And someone told me later that this, this poor woman was like horribly embarrassed and felt all, you know, terribly ashamed that that had happened to her. And I felt really bad. <laughs> wow. You know, these things are so tricky. You know, when I, when I think, you know, when I think about awkward social interactions, I just feel like there's so many, I, just, I, I you know, it, I mean, even it still happens, but I, I feel like my first year, there were just countless screw ups and the, the, the good thing. And, and Greg and I have talked about this on the podcast. The good thing about Thai people is that they're so easygoing and, and they, they kind of, they, they, they kind of look at foreigners as if we're socially retarded anyway, you know? So it's like when they usually laugh, like they, they, they rarely get offended. You know what I mean? To, to talking about those stories though, now that, now that I think back of them, both of them involved me sort of imposing myself on these poor innocent women. I just want to state for the record that I have never done anything like that again. <laughs> and it's not something I make a habit of. I feel like I have many, many stories like this from the very beginning. I mean, just, just small little, you know, uh, you know, it's usually something small where someone, uh, kind of is bothered by something you don't even realize. Uh, I remember, uh, 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 another girl I was dating before I met my wife, we were sitting on the couch and watching TV and we were kind of starting to cuddle. And for some reason, I, I want I think I wanted to like, I tried to like swing my leg over her, like whatever. And like, it was one of those <laughs> things where like my foot came like too close to her face, her head. And she totally freaked out and like jumped up. She like jumped up off the couch, like, Hey, what, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, 
I'm just, I'm rearranging. I'm like lifting my leg. <laughs> you know, it just, it's it just, it's somebody, it's funny because, uh, on the surface, I think there are, I mean, you, I, I consider you guys, as in Scott and Trevor, being travel experts, like you would be much more, uh, competent to talk about this. But it's funny how there's certain things that are part of just human culture and you would expect all human beings to react in a certain way. Like there's certain things that are just going to be offensive to everybody. And so there's this well of behavior that it's just you're human, so you're going to act a certain way. But then there's a lot of fine tuning, Mm. man. You know, just each culture just has these fine things. You know, like no, no American girl would have been bothered by me swinging my leg over her head. You know what I mean? Just, it just would never would have happened. But then you haven't like put your feet up on a seat or pointed. I mean, I don't know. The feet thing is kind of weird because like I'm pretty adept at like picking my keys up with my toes or, or things like that. You know, like I can juggle a soccer ball pretty well and whatnot. And I remember once I bounced, like I dropped a coin at a seven 11 and it bounced on the countertop and then it was going to fall on the floor. And I did like a little hacky sack kick and I flipped it back up in the air with my foot and I caught it. Yeah. And I was like, bam. And, and everybody was like, I can't believe you just kicked the coin because the king's pictures on it, and it was like <laughs> they were shocked. Yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. It is a pretty bizarre move. Um, but those are like, and and we were some someone was saying earlier about uh, how the ties just sort of assume we're socially awkward, and they sort of laugh and they have one of their smiles for these situations. Um, but then the next topic we were going to bring up is about losing face because there is like a line at which, like, once you cross a certain line, it's not a socially awkward situation now. It's like it's it's an actual problem, and only some of the things we've discussed here so far are actually like the the losing face issue, which is which is another deal, I think, altogether. Yeah. Well, I'm not, okay, I'm not, okay, I can, maybe I'll start this off. I don't know if I, I don't know if it's losing face, but I, I've been in situations where I've accidentally crossed a line that, you know, that I didn't mean to cross. Um, I, I mentioned before one time when I was going to UTA to take pictures. This was another trip to UTA to take pictures with, uh, my yoga teacher. And he wanted to take pictures, uh, in front of all the temples up in UTA. And, uh, I got a bunch of cool pictures. I still have them on my hard drive. It was like a good photography day. But, uh, we, you know, so he was doing like yoga poses in front of these Buddhist statues and it's some really cool photography. But, uh, at one point these guards like charged us. Like I thought they were going to like attack us. And basically he was, he was doing headstands. He was doing inversions with his feet up straight up in the air that were like, higher that were like higher than the buddhist head or something like that so when they saw him like doing inversions with his feet up they came like charging at us and i'm like what wait like what's going on uh and they they were like you know in broken in 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 their broken english and our broken tie they're like you cannot lift your feet up like that you know so they were fine with him like sitting in poses and stretching like in front of the buddha but they were really offended like they freaked out when he like put his feet in the air um, someone else have like a story where they've personally done uh, something inappropriate. Like, like it's, it's interesting because we can lose face very easily there, ooh. but sometimes the problem is you causing someone else to lose face, which I think is kind of worse. Yeah. Uh, I've got a similar one where, where um, someone not only lost face, but actually could have, could have gotten me in a lot of trouble. And I, I may have mentioned this on our podcast at some point too, we were telling stories, but um, I was uh, leading, showing a, a bunch of people around, uh, Pat Pong and we were, they really wanted to see a ping pong show. So I obliged them. Even though those are the worst things you can ever see in Bangkok. 
and uh, we went to watch one. And I was sort of leaning back and in my chair with a drink and um, wasn't really paying attention. But um, one of the women who worked in the bar, like as a waitress or something, she stood right in front of me and I, and I wanted her to move to the side. So instead of reaching forward and tapping her, I tapped her ankle with my foot and she turned around and yelled at me with a ferocious energy, <laughs> like right in my face, like, like Sintai screaming at me and everyone's looking at me. And then that I realized like, oh yeah, you're not supposed to touch people with your foot. And, uh, you know, thankfully I just said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she stormed off. But you know, that, that in that place doing that thing could have escalated to something unpleasant, but, um, you know, I didn't even think about it and it just sort of happened real quick. And as soon as I touched her, I was like, wait a minute, this might not work out well. Losing face is a real tricky one. And even after, you know, 21 years here, I mean, you basically just never want to lose your cool. You never want to become visibly angry. You don't want to raise your voice. And people get very uncomfortable as soon as you do that. And I've heard you guys mention that in your show, and I know we've talked about it, like Banks is one, that my my blood always boils, um, which is not good. Another side one is, you know, I, yeah. if you say fuck, even casual, I found, like, oh, fuck or something, like, we don't mean it at the level, that escalates everything. But I can think of a, a losing face that happened just a couple of years ago. And I booked a meeting room. We went to the meeting room, me and the other people, and there was a group still in there. And they just kind of looked at us and very gently, very, very gently to the, the head of that team said, hey, like, how much longer are you going to be in there? And we were certainly very cool about it. And he sort of looked at us and was awkward. And he said, oh, maybe 30 minutes. And it turned out that his team, seeing him talk to us, a couple of meters away caused him to lose great face. And he basically hated us for the rest of the time I worked there. And I had to pull him aside and apologize and say, really? would it actually have been better to have asked you to come to my office and walk across the office and go in my office? And he said, yes. So that hmm. very soft, casual conversation in an awkward moment caused him to lose face. You just never know. It's a tricky one. Yeah, I, I'd written down that there's the old wow. expat saying about if you're not a patient person, Thailand will teach you patience. <laughs> and if you're a patient person, Thailand will test it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I lose my I lose my cool on people who are intentionally stupid or lazy. And and when you do that or when I do that, it's it's almost always a losing argument. You know, um, here in Cambodia, I think I've actually become more patient than I was in Thailand. Um but usually I think whenever you get visibly upset, you're the one who loses face oh. immediately, even if the other person is, is at fault. Um, well, what I've learned to do kind of is just, I know that it's not necessarily that person's fault. Sometimes you're upset at the situation when you get upset, right? Cause the rules are different in Thailand and they don't make sense to us. And they're so like ridiculous. Um, so I've learned to like joke with the people about the situation and kind of, uh, win them over in the end that the situation is so stupid, but that seems to be easier here. Thai people just don't seem interested in hearing what I have to say. Uh, well, I, uh, want to hear what you guys have to say about this because, um, I am married and, uh, I was not when I first got here. It's quite a transition to make, but what are some, some interesting stories from dating in Bangkok? How did, how did, how did we all jump into that with both feet? Scott, you want to go first? Sure. This is a tricky one, you know, and obviously Thailand and Bangkok particularly has these reputations for being a super easy place 
to meet a woman, which it is. And then the next level of that is there's many tiers of women. There's, I think, an abundance of overly friendly women because of the history of prostitution and, and just beer bars and things like that. There are definitely people looking to meet somebody with a bit more money as a bit of a, a leg up in life. That said, is that any different from Canada or America? Like people tend to operate in the same social stratas and once in a while, the, you know, they'll marry up. Is it any different in Thailand? And then you can have the whole idea that, wow, it's so hard to meet a professional, educated, smart woman that can hold down a conversation, but that's also tough at home, right? And I think it depends where you're socializing and who yeah. you're hanging out with. So if you're going to beer bar kind of places, on the weekends, those are the people you're going to meet. If you happen to seek out a professional type event, those are the people you can meet. So it's definitely easier to get a quote-unquote girlfriend or get hitched. Um, but that special somebody, I don't know. I think that that's tough anywhere. I, I got to disagree. I got to jump in. <laughs> Maybe it's because all three of you are married or it's because you all still live in Thailand. But Thailand's nothing like what it was like back in America, nor what it's like here in Cambodia. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. There's something about Thai women. Yeah, I've always found it quite, I don't know, easy. Not like I'm a player or anything, because I never really was. But I, I found that, like, I don't know, Thai women are friendly. And I found it just as easy to meet educated, intelligent women as, as any, as the woman who works at Starbucks, you know, like even you could chat up uh, any Thai women and they're willing to meet you for coffee, even if they bring along a friend or their brother to watch them. And, <laughs> right. uh, you know, like I found dating in Thailand to be incredibly easy and enjoyable and, and I miss it a lot. <laughs> I, I am, I'm a bit different in that. And I'm, I've been married for, oh, wow, almost 10 years. I, I have gone the opposite way. Like a lot of guys I know here have had, you know, a lot of success dating and a lot of Thai girlfriends. I've only ever had about four. And for multiple years each, um, very much quant quantity, quality over quantity for me. Uh, and I don't know why I'm not a player. I wasn't in Canada. Um, I just have lucked into finding really nice, genuine women who were, you know, just wanted to be with someone nice and treated them well and someone to have fun with. So I, I don't really have a lot to say here. I, I'm lucky in that I found real nice ladies to, to date and I, didn't cycle through them too quickly and uh, they didn't cycle through me too quickly success i guess this topic is so fascinating I, you know so i'm going to try to make a point but I, I don't think my point is actually about thailand although i think everything you guys said i i i, I see what you're saying about thailand but for me one uh, realization i had that there was just something cool about getting outside of your culture and your social system because in that system, there's just certain things that are that are cool or uncool. Like, uh, for example, in my high school, uh, amongst my friends, uh, you know, I was just a geek, you know, uh, like an AP student. Although we thought we were the cool ones, you know, you know. Um, <laughs> but in, but there were, you know, but in my high school, there were these um, uh, cosmetology students. These girls who were in cosmetology, and they were all like hot, but we would never. Like, uh, and this is, this is, I think, a negative. Like, we would never date a, like, a Cosmo girl. Like, we just wouldn't do that, you know? And, but it was just because of the, 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 the system we were in, you know? But if, like, if I, if I met them outside of that context, I would see them as, like, cool girls and cool people. 
it's funny. That's why I think the the advantage of like moving to another country is you're totally out of the out of the system. Like you're you're, you're in a whole new world, and when you meet people, you're just not evaluating the same way you would at home. Like it's just it's just more natural. Uh, and so just so to me, that's although I I do have things to say about Thailand. I think that's the that's the coolest thing about traveling. Or being an expat is that when you meet someone, you're just meeting a human being. Like you, you don't you don't know who they were in high school and what clique they were part of. I don't know. Does that make sense? Right. Like I, that's what was one of the coolest things. Because I never, like I said, I never thought I was going to stay here. I never saw myself as someone who would who would live outside the U.S. And, and it was not on my radar. And for me, just starting out fresh, new, and and in a totally different like like social system and culture. To me, that was the, that's what made dating interesting is that I just met girls and evaluated them on who they were, like right in front of my face. And I didn't know, like, I didn't know, like, who they hang out with or I didn't know anything about their family. I didn't know if they were high so or low so or middle so. I didn't even know what so was, you know? So, so, so I don't know. To me, there's a, there's an innocence or a freshness when you're an expat when you meet someone. I, I think that happens in, in our countries too. I mean, once you get out of your little hometown or your little clique of friends that you grew up with and you start meeting new people in new places, that's the same sort of thing. But being in Thailand, like add to that the extra layer of being in an entirely new culture, language, adventure, customs, whatever. And it does take on a really sort of interesting element that it, that you don't, don't have to deal with back home, but is, but is exciting and fun to deal with. I think it's more honest because you're, all that like click stuff is bullshit anyway. You know, <laughs> like I just like like who knows like what kind of cool girlfriend I could have had in high school if I would have been if I wouldn't have been so weird about like who I was dating. Yeah, but okay, wait, let me jump in now real quickly about like when you're dating Thai women and you're at a, a let's say a house party or something and the, like your girlfriend is interacting with Thai other girlfriends and wives and stuff they certainly have clicks and they care about the status of of us <laughs> in a way that is very different too that's probably mm-hmm. true but just being a foreigner you automatically get status that you probably we probably i definitely don't deserve you know but, <laughs> but we just get it for some reason so what i'm really curious about we've all been here a long long time it's like how long until you felt like, I don't want to say tie, but how long till you felt like, yeah, okay, I know what's going on. I feel comfortable. Like, I'm here. Like, I'm not a traveler. I'm not a newbie. I am solid and comfortable in Thailand. Greg? I would, I would say probably five years. But I also think that comes from the more people you meet, the, the more, as you go forward in time, the, 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 the likelier you are that you will have been here longer than most of them. And... I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I kind of be honest. I, I like that. I like, I like it when someone says, how long you been here? And I go 20 years and they're like, whoa, or five years or three years. And they go, whoa, you know, cause it's not easy to move here and set up a new life. And I think it's cool when someone recognizes that you've been successful for that many years, however many years it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I'd say it took me about five years to really know that I, that I kind of deserved that. Whoa. Like, yeah, I've been here that long. Five years is enough to, to earn me a whoa. Okay. Trevor, how long till you kind of <laughs> felt solid and established and so forth? 
I would say it's the same for everyone. And it's the date that you went home to America or Canada and couldn't believe that they don't use bum guns. And you're like, <laughs> savages. Like, who are these people? You're like, you know, where day you, that you're like, you're reaching, you're reaching for the bum gun. You're reaching for the bum gun. Yeah. Then you're like, shit. Then you're officially like, you know, Thai or Asian. Same with like eating with a fork and spoon, you know, like it's just become so natural. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, like after a while living in a certain place, I remember many years ago, a friend of mine married to, he married an Australian woman and he lived in Australia and he started speaking with an Australian accent just because it was all he heard all the time. And it was just the way he'd learned to communicate. Right. So we speak, we speak English in like a Thai tonal English lots of times when we speak to Thai people because that's the most effective way to communicate that. And then you end up going home and you still talk in like this sing-songy kind of way that, that I think people find is funny. <laughs> and it just increases over the years. So, you know, I, I don't think I consider myself Thai by any means, but like a lot of my behaviors, I think, had become Thai. So like when I'm in Cambodia, even just a couple of years ago, I, I would always think it's funny how the Thai people, or the funny how the Cambodian people do things compared to how we do things, meaning those of us who live in Thailand, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I just felt like I, I felt Thai a lot. You know, I missed Thai food when I was away from Thailand. And that felt like a really Thai thing to do. I felt like I'd really become Thai when I started going, oui. I'm surprised. <laughs> oh. yeah, yeah, the sound effects for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't feel Thai, but uh, in my the way I think about it is that the moment I, I gave up on the idea that I might leave next year, you know, but, you know, because like when you're here two years, you're like, yeah, I, th- I think next year I'll probably head home, you know, and then like year four, I'm like, well, this will probably be my last year, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm. I'm a little bit embarrassed. It took me a long time to give up that illusion. Honestly, I think it was around year 12 or 13 where I just finally realized, you know, I was just like, oh my God, like, I'm not going back next year. Like, I don't know when I'm going back. I might never go back. Like, it, for me, it was around, it was more than 10 years, which is ridiculous because every single person that knew me <laughs> or back home or even here would have been like, dude, you're a lifer. Like what, you know, probably after about three years, probably anyone who knew me was like, dude, uh, I don't see you going back to the States. And I was like, no, 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 I, this is my last year in Thailand. I'm pretty <laughs> sure this is going to be my last year. So I turned a corner around year 12 or 13. You've all said stuff that really resonates with me, like bum gun. Absolutely. Now, how do people live without that fork and spoon? I've asked for a spoon so many times when I've gone back to Canada and and then Greg, you saying you know getting the the who after being here a while. Even though I moved here to start a travel company and start a life in a business, I remember I met a guy in my first month that had been here seven years, and that just seemed like a mind bender. Even though I had moved here, I just thought, wow, seven years, like incredible. But I'd say it was around five year mark, like a lot of you have said, that I started to feel really at home and this where life was. And I think. Back to a moment, this isn't necessarily where it happened, but I was taking a motorcycle taxi from my house on Ramkamhang Road down to Sukhumvitsoi 2, which would be good 10 kilometers or so. It's a bit of a haul on a motorcycle taxi early one morning, and I was reading a paperback book on the back of the motorbike, whizzing down the road. <laughs> and and I just at a some paperback. point realized what I was doing, and I thought, wow, like, yeah, I'm kind of local. Like this is That's, that's Thai. Yeah. That's very Thai, yeah. for sure. Well, as we're wrapping up here, guys, I want to I want to end on a positive note here. Um, 
I want to hear how Thailand has changed each of us for the better. Um, Scott, I remember when you were hosting Pecha Kucha a few years back, I heard you say something that stuck with me. And uh, you said, I think a lot of us here who have been here a long time want to change Thailand, but that's the wrong way to think of it. We should let Thailand change us. And I think it's true for anyone who stays mm-hmm. here a long time. So, uh, Trevor, why don't you start? I think, you know, what's interesting, how, Scott and I recently did an episode about just being an expat in different countries in Asia. And I've had the experience of, you know, living here in Cambodia and spending time in Indonesia and Korea and Vietnam. And uh, I think the biggest change to me wasn't simply just living in Thailand, although Bangkok being such a cosmopolitan city um, certainly played a large role in this. But I think it was just being exposed to lots of different people from so many different countries. Like we have friends from all over the world and we're constantly being exposed to different ways of thinking that aren't just Thai, but are, you know, Canadian or Estonian or Bulgarian. You know, I I have friends from so many different places and I think that's really changed the way that I think, you know, in many ways, I think I've become maybe less American than I've become like more, more Thai or, or more Khmer, you know? So I think I have a more global perspective now. And, uh, and at the same time, that makes me, more open to trying not to judge or assume things about other people. Um, because while they're like influences of their own culture, they're also part of this very cosmopolitan society in which I, I seem to live or that we all live. Scott, what about you? Yeah, I, I still haven't mastered this one, I guess, but I have definitely, part of this might be age too, but I'm a little calmer. I, I don't think I get instantly as angry as I used to about things, you know, kind of let situations take care of them selves a little bit. I don't try and convince people to be a part of something that I might have before. And I can sense a bit when someone's lying to me not to disappoint me. And I'll just kind of smile. Like I'll, I always think of Derek Van Pelt, who was on show, out tie the ties, like just put on a smile and kind of nod. And like, I try and out tie the ties when I know they're just trying to not disappoint me. But I'd say the thing I probably enjoy the most and it's changed me the most for the better is that I really enjoy mixing with everybody from a bottle collector, from like the very, very poor person to like a very rich person all in one day. Like you can literally have conversations and interactions with all ranges of the social spectrum in the same day. And it kind of always reminds me that we're, we're all people and we're all fighting the same struggles. And, and I really like that mix of people in a single day and i i kind of try and really give everyone an equal footing and, and and just view people as people yeah for sure right on ed what about you well first off i feel like trevor and scott stole my ideas because i think they're <laughs> I, I, when, when when trevor was similar experiences so it makes sense right that, when right. trevor was talking i i was thinking that that's me that's that's right and when scott was talking i'm like no wait a minute that that's me that's yeah. totally right so i'm gonna go in a slightly different direction then because i have to now um, but it, it dawned on me that I, for me, I've learned a lot from my job of being a teacher and uh, for the last uh, t- 13 years, a professor at a Thai university. And that's just um, understanding where different students are coming from and trying to basically just trying to be a good professor and trying to be a good teacher. Like it, the reason I'm thinking about this is that right before we're recording this, I had to I had a very painful conversation with a student who uh, just very, very quickly, very briefly, this is a student who um, has some kind of social issues. I don't know if he's on the autism spectrum or whatever it is, but just kind of an awkward guy. 
actually was very abstract thinking and and like a like a thinker, but um just not like locked in socially. And uh, he, he got a lot of bad grades and failed a bunch of classes. And he sent me a message for advice about how not to fail. And I'm trying to give him some advice. And I'm, I'm I was talking to our admin person, and then we realized that actually his GPA was just below the cutoff and he's actually failed out of my university. Oh no. So so literally right before this call, I, I have to tell him that he's he's out. He's out of the university. <laughs> oh man. Um, and and it was just you know, it was just difficult and I realized how you know, so I I had to write on the spot to figure out a way to do this. Because he's this very enthusiastic like young guy like like he's like too enthusiastic. Like I said, he's got some social issues or whatever it is. But he's definitely it's frustrating because he's got the IQ. I know he's got the IQ. Like he asks very interesting questions, but he's just, whatever, you know. And it's just so I think I've learned a lot, you know. So I just told him, I, I was like, look, I know you are a smart person. I know you are from the questions you ask. Um, I know that if you figure out how to stay organized, I know if you figure out how to make deadlines, I know you can get a college degree if you want one. And I think that uh, I would not have been able to do that 10 years ago, maybe not even five years ago, you know. So I don't know. So I think, so I've improved, I think at, in a way it's, it's like what you guys said, but in this case, it's just relating to students and seeing where they're coming from and, and, uh, you know, trying to communicate to them in a way that, that is best for them. Nice. Well, I guess I'll go, I'll go last. And, um, for me, I like, I agree with everything you guys have said. Uh, I think it applies to most, most all of us here. But for me, I, I think the one thing that I, I, I gained is, uh, perspective especially on how absolutely ridiculously spoiled we are in the West. And this sometimes <laughs> comes off as me sounding anti-Western, but I'm not. But I just like, we we don't even know how good we have it in terms of, I'm talking from a Canadian perspective here, like we have the best of everything, the best or, or among the best in the world, you know, infrastructure, healthcare, social safety nets, you know, roads, bridges, education, what have you. And, you know, I see photos online of like on Reddit or something, some guys like, Hey, I'm playing with my dog in the backyard. And you see this guy living in this massive house with this massive backyard <laughs> and front right. yard. And you forget like, Jesus, like, like you, I forget, like you don't even know how huge your property is. And then you think of us living here in Asia and like, you know, all of us are lucky enough to have quite nice places, but we don't have a giant front and backyard where we can run around with our dogs and um, just the struggles that people have every day. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that have nothing but bad luck and for whom our worst day, me, you, uh, you guys like our worst day would be their dream come true, you know, and you just, you don't get exposed to that in your average boring Western existence. And so I think it just, for me, after living here for so long, it just sort of, it opened my eyes and it opened my mind a bit to, to what other people in the world go through and uh, the experiences they have. And it, it just l lets me put my own existence growing up into perspective. I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, memes, a lot of memes are kind of parodies or exaggerations and, you know, they're funny and interesting. But I'm telling you, man, the first world problems meme is is deadly accurate it's like yeah. deadly realistic you know it, it it it's totally totally true like the stuff the stuff that bothers you or drives you crazy when you put it in perspective it's uh it, it's it's pretty silly yeah 
I was going to mention that too, like white privilege, you know, and uh, just that you're so much more aware of it, or I'm so much more aware of it. And even here in Cambodia, which is like a, a has less developed or has more poverty perhaps than Thailand, you really do value everything that you, you're fortunate enough to have uh, or the opportunities that are presented to us. I, I definitely think I, I feel that. And it makes me more empathetic. And like Scott was saying, talking to the janitor or whomever, you know, I think you like, it's interesting that because of the recognition of the privilege I have, I, I'm more sympathetic and I'm more open to helping other people, you know, especially those that are, are less fortunate or certainly at least being right. nice to them and polite to them and not judging them for, for their station in life. What a, conversation guys i think we all yeah, agreed kind of i thought it was going to be about a little break crazy taxi stories and such we're going to sing kumbaya now we, uh, <laughs> we we've got to do a follow-up to this within under a year because we still have more in our notes here and i think there's a lot of great things we could talk about so thanks everyone for getting together and we hope everyone's enjoyed this i say we do this uh, once a year yeah hopefully i could be back in bangkok for it uh, i need my thai food fix man we can do it in person with Thai food and a lot of beer. Yeah. Wow, I accept that. Until yeah. then. Yeah. Right, thanks, thanks guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and 